Happy New Year. Good morning to both of you. I think the rapture happened last night. Good news, bad news. Bad news is you're hearing me say that. Where's the drummer when you need him? Uh, welcome to Hope. You're off to a good start to 2023. Good job. Way to go. Everybody gets a gold star. Um, if you are visiting or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to fill out this piece of paper that is in your bulletin, and we will follow up with you accordingly. Later, during the time of offering in this worship service, uh, there will be members of our prayer team available in the back to pray with you. If you have need of prayer while you are here today, of course, you can always uh, click through our website and send us prayer requests that way. Uh, we look forward to uh, lifting up those needs, and so we encourage you to communicate with us and let us know how we can be in prayer for whatever's going on in your life. Uh, several things going on around here. Um, so we have a funeral on Tuesday morning at 11, and then the night before, on Monday night, January the 2nd, there will be a visitation uh, for the family of John Davern at Porter Loring North Funeral Home, just across 1604 from here at Gold Canyon. And then after that, as people conclude their time over there, they've been invited to come over here. And we have uh, April brought uh, John's humidor up here with all of his cigars in it. And we're going to smoke them. And uh, so just in tribute to John, we're going to have some uh, cigars and, and some time to just fellowship on the back patio and encourage you to come over after the visitation for that and just be here for, th for that occasion. Um, we are serving lunch on Tuesday after the funeral service at 11 a.m. at Porter Loring North. We're also inviting everyone over here to have lunch immediately following the worship service. We do need your help. We're going to make this a potluck-type uh, lunch. We're going to buy the sandwiches, some nice sandwiches, and have those available, and then invite you to bring sides and desserts. There is a way to sign up right now. The way to find that sign-up is on Facebook. Our Facebook page has that link to a sign-up genius where you can just click on what you want to bring, and that way we'll know what bases are covered. Um, I will send that link out by email as well today um, so that everybody has it. But that's the plan. Um, there will be ways to sign up just to, to serve, to set up after church today or, um, you know, clean up, set up, et cetera, as these two events are taking place on Monday night and then Tuesday afternoon. Um, so any questions about that? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Hearing none? Okay. Um, and then a week from today, we will de-Christmas the building. Um, and then a week after that, we'll on Saturday the 14th, is the memorial service for Susan Dunn. Uh, that will be at the Geneva School of Bernie. And you are encouraged to attend and celebrate her life and ministry and be there as a comfort to our brother John as he moves through this final stage of a long trek 
of, of grief and faithfulness. And John, just for whatever it's worth, uh, your example of faithfulness to your wife was a beautiful reflection of God's heart to us. And uh, thank you. Yes, there were, there were many prayers uh, propelling that long display of God's faithfulness, but uh, you are an inspiration to us all, sir. Thank you for showing Christ to us um, over these years. Yep, that was a... Uh, yeah, not not probably not exactly what you signed up for. I don't think that was in the brochure, but uh, yeah. All right, what am I forgetting? We will start Discover Hope on Sunday, January the fifteenth. For we'll, we will serve you lunch after the service. Esther, what do you need? Your half birthday. You've got your half birthdays marked out. You know, your dad is like into math, so do you have your quarter birthday and your eighth birthday and your one-sixteenth birthdays? What? You have the quarters figured out? This is a quarterly celebration of Esther. I like that. You know, we're going to have a whole church service, I think, in February on the book of the Bible that you're named after. So we got that going for us. That'll be maybe closer to your quarter birthday. So, and welcome back. All right. Where was I? Discover Hope. So Discover Hope is, is uh, our membership class. It's, it's requisite for membership, um, but you don't have to join if you go to Discover Hope. You just go to Discover Hope to figure out exactly how crazy are we and do you want to consider being a full member of Hope Church? Um, so that will be for three Sundays consecutively starting on January the 15th. We will feed you lunch and spend some time in God's word and a little bit of fellowship. It's, uh, it's a good process, but encourage you if you are at all interested in uh, being more involved here and you're not a member yet to consider going through that. All right. Why don't we have all of the important people come down to the front at this time? If you are in fifth grade or younger, you're invited down for our children's chat right now. Good morning, good morning. Happy New Year. Are you happy that it's a new year? Good. It's in the name. You have to be happy. I'm good. That's right. Um, okay. So which would you rather have as a pet? Puppy. Well, okay. Puppies are great, but I'm going to give you a choice between two animals. Which would you rather have to snuggle with at night? A lamb? You know what a lamb is? It's a baby sheep. Big brown eyes that blink. It's cute. Or... Would you rather cuddle up with a lion at night, a wild lion? Wild. You're going with lamb? You'd rather have a lion? 
why would you rather have a lion? Because we just heard that lambs are soft and fluffy and warm. What what if the lion was hungry? That's what sisters are for? <laughs> Good job, Piper. Just <laughs> So, which would you rather have to cuddle with? I'm going to go with lamb for cuddling, because if the cuddling doesn't work out, you can always have it for dinner. But if the cuddling doesn't work out with the lion, guess who's having you for dinner? The lion. Right. Yes. Okay. I think we get it. So which would you rather have outside your house to protect you from bad people, a lamb or a lion? Definitely a lion. I mean, keep the door closed, but definitely a lion would keep people away, I think. Right? All right. Okay. So I'm going to read you a passage where someone is describing Jesus. And the first thing they say is, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So that they're describing Jesus as a... Nope. The lion of the tribe of Judah. They're describing Jesus as a lion, right? And then in the very... So that's, that's someone saying, here comes Jesus. Here comes the lion. And then... Listen to this. I saw, so he, so the, the author, John, looks up. Someone says, hey, a lion's coming. How would you feel if a lion walked into this room? A little scared, right? So somebody says, a lion is coming. And John looks up and he says, I saw a lamb standing. So wait a minute. The person introducing Jesus says, here comes a lion, and then in walks a lamb. What's going on? Yes, Jesus is the lion and the lamb, right? He's both. So you have that protection, and you have that soft, warm, fuzzy love of God to keep you warm. It's good. All right. So Jesus is described in the Bible both as a lion and a lamb. Uh, is he called a lion because he's going to eat you? No. no. Why is he called a lion? Because he can protect you. It, who's the king of the jungle? God. God. Okay. What animal is called the king of the jungle? Lions. Lions right? They're the most powerful. So is there anyone more powerful than God? No. no. So we call him a lion, right? Why is he called a lamb? Because he gives you soft, warm, fuzzy love. I will go with that. I'm good with that. 
He also is called the Lamb of God who laid down his life for the forgiveness of our sins. So Jesus was strong and all-powerful, but did he use that power to uh, destroy us? No, he laid down his own life out of love so that we could have forgiveness that lasts for how long? Forever. Very good. I think you get it. Can I pray for you guys today? All right. Dear God, thank you that Jesus is both our lion who protects us and our lamb who laid down his life to show us how much you love us. Lord, thank you for that grace and forgiveness that we find through the sacrifice of Christ, the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. We thank you for your love, for your grace, for these children and the blessing that they are to our lives. We pray your blessing over them as they study more of your word and hope for kids this morning. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them into a deeper understanding of how much you love them. Your blessing over them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Y'all have fun. Will you join me as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we come before you as this new year begins. We, uh, we think of all of the, uh, well, everything that came with the past year, um, the good and the bad, the joy and the grief, and we just give it all to you. And we thank you that you are the God who makes all things new. And we pray that in our own hearts, that you would renew, uh, that you would restore, that you would comfort, that you would lead us into what lies ahead. And we just pray that we would be involved in your will and your plan and the extension of your love and your kingdom in this world. And we thank you for that blessing of being a part of your family. We ask that as we open your word this morning, that you would open our hearts, that you would read from those places within us that which needs to be uh, given to you and let go of and uh, offered up. And we just pray that as we engage in this process, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and lead us more and more into becoming the men and women of God that you've created us to be. We ask that um, you would be with those whom we know and love who are sick, and we just pray for your healing mercies over those who are in need of healing. We lift up Barbara and her upcoming surgery, and we just pray that you would use that to work your healing in her shoulder. We pray for those who are recovering from surgeries and other medical procedures, and we just pray your healing upon them. We lift up Megan Davern as she continues to recover or fight cancer, and we just pray your healing over her body. Uh, Lord, uh, be with us as we um, enter this new year. We pray for our leaders at every level of government, elected and appointed. We pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. And we lift up our men and women in uniform who serve to protect our freedoms as Americans. We pray that you would 
um, watch over those who are in service to our country who are in harm's way, especially uh, those who are in combat situations, and we pray that you would bring them home safely. We pray for those who've returned home changed as a result of their service and sacrifices, and we pray that you would use us, your church, to minister your healing to them, mind, body, and soul. Lord, we lift up the churches that we are connected to through our denomination, through our missions giving, uh, and we just pray your blessing over those works of your spirit. And we lift up those church plants that we are connected to uh, in New Braunfels, in Austin, and in Dallas, and we pray uh, your blessing over those young works. Um, be with us now as we open your word, open our hearts, speak to us today and draw us closer to your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we are in a series of messages over this, uh, well, what was the Advent season. Now, technically, we are in the Christmas season, and we've been looking at uh, the names of Jesus. Uh, this was um, uh, sort of a process that began with a youth summer sermon series uh, this past summer where the each youth picked a name of God and looked at that aspect of God and how it spoke to them and um, then we, we did a series in the fall of, of women in the Bible who were not named and we looked at how each of those women reflected to us uh, God's heart and God's nature and then we are looking now at the names of Jesus as he came into the world uh, to be God incarnate. And we've looked at the name Jesus itself, which means God saves. We've looked at the, the title Christ, which means anointed one. Uh, we've looked also at the great I am uh, and several of the other uh, names that are used to describe Jesus and this morning, we come to uh, two metaphors that are used to describe him that are each uh, an animal. And one is a lion, and one is a lamb. And we're going to just look at a couple of, well, a few passages that pick up these themes. We're going to go first to the passage in the book of Revelation, where this, these two terms are used in very close proximity to one another, where he is first called a lion and then, call and then appears as a lamb. And we're going to try to understand what that means. I will, I will sort of uh, tell you up front, some of these passages uh, cover the same bases. So you'll see some, some similarities in some of the points of my, of my message that we're just kind of hitting like a hammer on the same nail a few times t this morning. Um, and so that's just a little heads up. You'll see some of the themes repeated uh, as, we, as we move through different passages. However, let me just set up this passage in Revelation for you. So the author of the book of Revelation uh, is a man named John who was in exile because of his faith. He was a leader in the church, uh, and he was put on the island of Patmos, uh, in exile. He was basically imprisoned there for his faith. And while he was there, and he was probably rather old, and while he was there, he was caught up in a vision to heaven. 
And in that vision, um, he's given some messages to deliver to the seven churches. And uh, those, anytime you see the number seven, when it's written by an author who grew up Jewish, um, you should know that that just means complete. It's a totality. That's what it means. It's a, it's a symbolic number. And so the letters to the seven churches, they're to all of us. And John has written, he's been given these messages to deliver to the seven churches. And now he's in, he's caught up and taken in a vision up to the throne room of God. And as he's sitting there, he sees God on the throne and God is holding a scroll with seven seals. This scroll has um, various uh, <laughs> interpretations by various people of various perspectives throughout Christendom. Uh, but let me, just, let me just try to, for the sake of what we're looking at today and what you see when you read the passage, I think it is I'll put it, this, uh, this is going to be a really qualified statement. I think it is usually most helpful <laughs> to look at the scroll as the scroll that contains God's wrath against sin. It is more than that, but for the sake of understanding what we're talking about today, all you need to understand is that God is holding a scroll that contains all of his wrath against sin in his hand. And there's a call that goes out to heaven, to every, every person there, for someone to come and take the scroll. In other words, someone who can come and take God's wrath, right? Like that's a big take. And, and you'll see this pause, and, and, and after the pause, you see, you'll see what, uh, what transpires. But I just wanted to kind of set that up, and for the sake of understanding this passage for today... You just need to know this scroll contains all of God's wrath against sin. So here we go. I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who? is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Okay, first of all, wow. And this, this pause in heaven as everyone, well, in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, as the, entire, in the entirety of creation 
waits for someone to step forward. Who is mighty enough to take all of God's wrath against sin upon himself? That's the question. Who is this? Who could it be? And when there's this pause in heaven and on earth and under the earth, John of Patmos begins to weep as he contemplates all of God's wrath being poured out upon people he knows, people he loves, the world in, in whole, in mass. And that's when someone says, he's got this. The Lion of Judah has conquered. And what, what he means is that Jesus has conquered death. He gave his life as a sacrifice, a sinless sacrifice for our forgiveness. And in so doing, when he rose from the dead by the power of God, he overcame that which besets us all. And that is the truth. That is the person, the only being in heaven and on earth and under the earth who is worthy to take the, the scroll, to break the seals. Those seals represent authority in the ancient world. When a message was sent by one monarch to another, let's say, there was, you know, there were these wax seals that were placed on the scroll to keep it closed. And the only person who had the authority to, to break that seal was its recipient, its named recipient. And Jesus says, I am the named recipient of the wrath of God. I will take that for you so that you can have peace. And so he steps forward, and we are called in this passage to come to the one who is worthy. The lamb who was slain, the lion of Judah who conquered death, who has the ability to open that scroll and its seals. We are to behold the Lion of Judah. He is also described here as the root of David. What that means is that da Jesus, who is a biological descendant of David, in, in his, at least in terms of his birthright, um, also precedes David. If he's David's root, Jesse is the father of David, says root of David here, sorry. He is the ancestor of David and the descendant of David, or the better said, the predecessor of David. He pre-exists David, and he's David's descendant. That's an impossible trick in and of itself, that he existed, he always has existed, he exists now and he always will, and he became flesh as a born into the household of David to fulfill all of those prophecies that God and promises that God had given to David. So we are to see that he is the only one who is worthy to take the scroll of God's wrath upon himself. He's the only one who's capable of enduring that and conquering death itself. In him we find freedom from sin and we find eternal life. When that pre-existent God in flesh laid down his life, it was an 
open door for us into eternity, to transcend our mortality and become part of an eternal family. That is the place of the Lion of Judah. And as we behold his worthiness, so also he then appears. So, I mean, think about this. Like, here comes a lion. You've got everyone's attention, right? So the the elder says to John, a lion has come to take the scroll. And John's thinking, this is going to be awesome. And he looks up, and there's a lamb with his throat slit. This is pretty gory stuff, right? He's just like, wait, what? What does this mean? That the path to eternal peace with God is paved by the blood of Christ. That he is the lamb who was sacrificed for our forgiveness. So we are to behold the Lion of Judah and we are to behold the Lamb of God. This is not, I suppose, what we would expect. I think, as humans, we want a conquering king. We want our side to win, whether you're cheering for a football team or a country uh, in the Olympics or in a war, you want your side to win. And here, John expecting that, that great grandeur of a lion to come into the throne room of God and in walks a dead lamb. What? Why? Well, because that's the way the economy of God works. It's not what we would expect. It's not how we would foresee the conquering of something. It's by laying down his life, by the the sacrifice of his self, that we find grace. And so when we behold the Lamb of God, we find grace in the sacrifice of Christ. He chose to offer himself as a lamb at the slaughter. And we find not only grace in his sacrifice, but we find security in his wholeness I told you earlier that when you hear the word seven in the book of Revelation, just think totality or completeness. And so I'll just go back over that last verse. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. God does not have seven spirits. God has one. Holy Spirit. The seven just means totality. The the wholeness of the Spirit of God goes out around all of the earth. That's what it means. Um, The seven horns represent God's total authority. And what was the other one? Eyes? Because that's not weird. Right? The lamb doesn't have seven eyes. It has the totality, the all, it's, this is God, it's describing God. He's all-seeing, he's all-knowing, he has all authority, and his spirit is all over the place. It's omnipresent. So this is describing the nature of God. It's just symbolism here. You're not, there's no being with seven eyes that, that actually was, or seven horns and seven eyes and whatever, right? 
John is saying to his readers, this is God himself. This lamb who was slain is actually God himself. It is Emmanuel. It is God with us. It is God in, in human form. He became human so that he could offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He's all-seeing. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He's God. And so this is the one who is worthy. The one in heaven and on earth and under the earth who could actually step forward and say, I've got this. So I want to go back to Genesis chapter 49. I'm just going to read verses 8 through 10, and I'll set the context for you a little bit. Um, you've heard of Abraham. His son was Isaac. Isaac's son was Jacob, who in Genesis chapter 32, God renames him Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. Did you know that? That's, that's your name. We are people who wrestle with God. Interestingly, that name also means those who rule with God. It has a double meaning. So uh, Sarah is the Hebrew word for princess, and Israel, that root of the name of Sarah, can also mean one who rules with God. The L on the end is God. So Sarah is Sarah L, one who rules with God. But if you read it in the context of Genesis chapter 32, Jacob is renamed Israel because he wrestled with God. And, and that's, that word for wrestling is the same root, uh, strangely, as the word Sarah. So you, your nature, is to be one who wrestles with God. When Jesus conquers the sin in your life, when he takes that scroll from you, you are then one who rules with God. You are both, and, and tell me, just tell me you've made it through a day on this earth where you haven't felt the conflict between the two. <laughs> uh, I haven't yet, um, so there you have it, for whatever that's worth. But now, Jacob, Israel, is on his way out. He's elderly, and he's, he's leaving his, his sort of prophecies and blessings for his children. He gets to his fourth son, whose name is Judah, and he says, you're the one. You're the one through whom my lineage will pass to the Messiah, to the one who will have all of God's authority and will be worthy to take the scroll from the Lamb. D Judah doesn't say all this, but you get the idea. But you, you will be the, the father of the tribe that will bring forth the Messiah. And here's the, the language that we find in Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10. This is Israel speaking, or Jacob, to his sons. And when he gets to the fourth son, Judah, he says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until, until tribute comes to him, 
and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So this is uh, packed with symbolism and prophecy and uh, a few cryptic um, allusions. But let me just try to simplify this for you. From this tribe of Judah will come one who will have, who will hold that scepter which represents God's authority. This will be the promised one that comes through this tribe. We, in seeing him, the Lion of Judah, are to come under his authority. That is our calling in response to the coming of the Lion of Judah. Judah himself is called a cub, and so his descendant will be the grown-up lion bearing all of God's authority on this earth. And so we are called to come under that authority to bring him our gratitude, to bow down before him, and to accept his sacrifice on our behalf. This lion this Messiah, this promised one, will lay down his life for us. There's a, there's a very cryptic uh, phrase in this passage I want to bring your attention to. It's just the three words, from the prey. Um, think of it as out of the one who was slain. If you can think of it that way for just a moment. Um, out of the one who was slain, Lost my okay, my son, you have gone up. So this is there's this is really problematic in several levels because there's no way that Judah could have fully understood what he was saying, and yet in some way he's indicating that this line of Judah will be the one who is slain for the forgiveness of our sins. And we don't really understand this until we see Christ on the cross several millennia later, but this is it, right? This is, the, this is the one. We are to bring him gratitude, and we are to bring him our obedience. Um, so, this whole idea of obedience... Um, it's, it's an obedience that is born of gratitude. That's what it is. We don't obey God so that we can be in good standing with him. You, you or I, we cannot do that. We will, it's like a New Year's resolution. Uh, it's not going to last the whole year. Um, and so our need is for a Savior for a redeemer, for someone to forgive us, not on the merit of our own actions, but on his right, the basis of his righteousness and his actions. And so this is it, this one who will bring forth such gratitude from our hearts that obedience is a joy to, to walk with him is our privilege. It is our joy. And so 
disobedience, this coming under his authority, um, we do this because he is God's chosen one, the one in whose hand the scepter of God's authority will rest forever. We bring him our obedience, we come under his authority, and we reflect his grace. This is the idea of tribute that's brought in this passage. So in, in antiquity, if you had a, a kingdom next door to your kingdom, uh, your best bet, especially if that kingdom has a bigger army than your kingdom, is to keep that king happy, right? And so you would pay tribute to that king. And typically, that king, unless it was a massive empire, if it was just a neighbor, that king would also reciprocate that tribute. It would be a, a two-way deal unless you were like Egypt or Babylon or something like that. What, what the book of Genesis is saying is just simply this, that we are to bring tribute to God to reflect his grace. So what God has done for you, pay it forward. Show grace to others. Spread his love. That's the message. That's the tribute that we bring, that we reflect God's grace in this world. And so we are to come to the one who is worthy. We're to come under the authority of the Lion of Judah. And I want us to look for a moment at this idea of Jesus as the Lamb of God. And I'm just going to use uh, three verses out of the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And in this interaction, there's John the Baptist, who's a little bit of a freak. He's a long-haired hippie in a hair coat, all right? Not a, he eats locusts for breakfast. The guy's a little strange, right? And he's out in the, in the, they call it the wilderness. He's just down by the Jordan River, and he is baptizing people. That just means washing. So he's saying, come and get washed. And it was called the washing of repentance. And people were coming because they understood they needed to repent of their sins. And John was telling them, I'm not the one. There is one to come. And I'm just here to prepare the way. So repent. Come into that posture of humility before God. And he will come. And so here's John in his ministry, washing people down by the river, um, weird as he is. And we're just going to enter into that and then this interaction that he has when he sees Jesus. So John chapter 1, verse 28, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. Everyone listening to John would have just sort of let those words fly because John was weird. He was a strange dude, and they didn't necessarily, not everyone around him fully understood what he was doing, but these words are loaded 
with meaning and importance. John understands he's not the Messiah. He's just the one who God chose to come and prepare people's hearts for Christ. As he looks up and he sees this Jesus, he gets it. And somehow he breaks with the Jewishness of his theology to say that there's a human being who's coming now toward me, who was before me. And, and if you've read the birth narrative of, of John the Baptist, you know that his dad was a priest in the temple. His mom was pregnant before Mary was pregnant with Jesus. So the only way that Jesus could have been before John is if Jesus was God, that he was incarnate in, in, in Mary's womb and came to be born as a human being. It's the only way this works. And somehow, John understands this. And so he utters this statement, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he was before me. So we are to come into the eternal kingdom of the Lamb. That's the calling here. That's what John was trying to prepare people for to be washed by his blood. That is, to give to God our sin and allow the death of another to atone for that sin, to wash us clean spiritually before God. This is humility in action to require something of that magnitude from someone else purely out of their motive of love. But we are to be washed by his blood to come into his atonement. This is what the lamb represents. That every day at the temple, lambs were brought in. They were slain. They were sacrificed. There was blood. There was um, an altar with fire. And the meat was cooked. And some of it was consumed there. If you haven't figured it out yet our sin is messy business and the only way to resolve the complexity of our internal problem is by the blood of Christ that is how we are washed it is how we are atoned for it is how we are made right with God we are to come into his atonement and we are to come into his freedom This idea that you, today, right now, or any time, can reflect on the fact that God has taken your sin from you. And it's not just a platitude. It's, it's a truth that it's sort of like the seven spirits go in seven directions. Like it, it goes in every conceivable direction. All of your past sin, all of your current sin, all of your future sin. 
all of the sins that have been committed against you and all the sins that will be committed against you are taken by Christ on the cross. You, my brothers and sisters, are free from that burden. Just imagine the weight of all that just lifted, excuse me, off of you. That's it. That's our place in Christ, where we are washed by his blood, our sins are atoned for, and we come into his eternal freedom. The weight of our sin is lifted, and we become a part of his family. That you have a place to call home forever. We are to claim God's eternal promises, and we are to claim his eternal inheritance as our own. John looks up and says, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. When he says this, he's saying this is the one who has come to fulfill everything you've read about in the scriptures. Everything in what we call the Old Testament, which was the only Bible they had when John said this, is being fulfilled in this one person who is also the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. I want to just um, conclude by reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And I've, I've clipped out a little bit that just talks about peop- where people are geographically, so a bunch of weird place names that you've never heard of. I figured we, for the sake of space, i got to cram all this onto my you know, outline. That's what's most important here, right? Um, but just for the sake of space, go, go ahead and read them for yourself. They're not very edifying, but have at it, and uh, try to pronounce them if you want to. But I'm just going to jump that little section in verse 1. Um, but I wanted to read this to you. This is the Apostle Peter, who was very close to Christ, when Christ was on this earth as a human being. And he's writing a letter to some followers that are are actually being persecuted for their faith. They're being uh, arrested, imprisoned, and in some cases executed for their beliefs that, that Jesus is the king of kings. And that was a crime in ancient Rome because you're supposed to believe that the emperor is God. And the Christians refused to believe this, and they were put to death for it. And Peter is writing to just sort of tell this this struggling church, hey, you're doing it right. You've got it right. And this is what he says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to this great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
Amen. I'm not going to elaborate on that passage. I think it's very clear. I'm just going to pray. Will you join me? God, our loving Father, we are humbled by the extent to which you went to bring us back into your family, to extend your grace and your peace to our hearts. It was in your plan all along. You call us your elect, your chosen people, and as a result, we are blessed that because of your mercy, we have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us, who by your power are being guarded for faith, through faith for a salvation that lasts forever. Lord, help us to render ourselves in the correct posture before you, to be a people who live in a state of gratitude, and from that gratitude, we manifest obedience, to be the people that you have called us to be, to love and forgive the way you have loved and forgive, forgiven. Lord, that we could reflect who you are in this dark and hurting world, to shine your light, to show your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.